0: You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, this morning uh, we have a really special guest with us, and uh, you guys have not met him, but uh, I've known Mike Santa Stephen for a long time. We went to college together. I was his RA his freshman year of college and uh, what an amazing man he is. I've watched him as he went through college, uh, went into ministry as a pastor uh, in Ambridge, and worked with him uh, there, and uh, now uh, just done some amazing things. He's a pastor, as a thinker, and as a person. Mike is a blessing. And uh, I've known his wife, Jessica, as well. We were on student government together. She uh, can do pretty much everything. and, uh, and smile while doing it. And so this couple is just such a gift to this world. And uh, I'm sorry many of you haven't had the chance to meet him. But I uh, wanted to take the opportunity for you guys to get to hear what's on his heart. And to hear him share God's word which is always so powerful. And so this morning uh, as we close out this year. There's no better way than to open God's word and to dive in. So could you put your hands together this morning. Give a warm Calvary welcome to Mike Santa Stephen.
1: Good morning everybody, how are we doing today? Good, hope you had a great Christmas. Um, As Nick said, uh, my wife Jessica is right over here and um, we've got three beautiful kids that are at home with my parents right now. And uh, thanks Nick. And uh, as Nick said, we've known each other for a really long time and I just want you all to all know you guys have an incredible pastor. You have an amazing pastor, Nick is an amazing leader. He is a man of integrity, he is a man of character. He's a man of purpose, and, and you guys are incredibly blessed. And so I just want to encourage you, man. If it's been a while since you've uh, encouraged him, send him a text of encouragement, man, just do that. Just, just bless him as he goes into this new year. Let him know how much you love him and value him. Well, today I'm excited to, to be able to share God's word with you. If you have a Bible, you can join me in Romans chapter 12. The verses will also be up here on the screen as well. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 together. And uh, before we do that, would you join me in prayer once more as we invite God to speak to us here today as we look into his word together. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, we thank you for um, the holidays, uh, despite the busyness. Lord, we thank you for the time with family and friends. Lord, we thank you that we can be here at the close of this year, gathered together in your presence with your people. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. And we ask that as we do that, Lord, that you would speak to us here today. God, what we need Lord, is not the the insights of a human being, but we want to hear the living and active word of God. Lord, I thank you that your word does not return to you void. When it goes forth, it accomplishes what you've sent it to accomplish. And so we thank you for that today. Would you give each one of us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together. Amen, amen. As you know, human history is divided um, into two eras. There is is B.C. and there is A.D., B.C. standing for before Christ, A.D. being the the, the reduction of a a Latin phrase, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And non-Christian historians and archaeologists have begun using B.C.E. for for before Christ and and C.E., the common era for, for after Uh, Anodomini, regardless of which terminology is used, there is no denying the fact that human history is divided by the coming and the arrival of Jesus Christ upon this earth. And the same is true for every single Christian. Here's what I mean. There's the you that was before you met Jesus. There's the you who you used to be before you encountered his grace and before he entered into your life. And then after you put your faith in Jesus, there's the new you, the you that's been renewed, the new creation, there's a different you. There's a before Christ you, and there's an after Christ you, you see? Jesus marks a dividing point, not only in history, but in every one of our lives. And let me just tell you this, the the the, the AD you, the after Christ you, is different than the before Christ you. Because Jesus Christ changes our lives. Let me tell you this, if you've met Christ and your life has not changed at all, then you might not be a Christian because Jesus Christ always changes our life. And that doesn't mean that you become a perfect person immediately after you place your faith in Jesus, but it does mean that he's entered your life and he has changed you and his grace has made you come alive and you are a different person and you're on a trajectory of growth and change and transformation to be more like him. Amen? And that's what we're talking about this morning when we come to Romans chapter 12. The big idea of the message today is this, those who have been rescued by the Savior, who have been truly rescued by the Savior, will grow to increasingly resemble the Savior. Look with me at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul the Apostle says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The title of my message today is The Transformed Life, and that word transformed is found right there in verse 2, where it tells us that we are not to be conformed to the world, but transformed There's a transformation that God desires to bring about in our lives, and and the Christian life is a continual separation from the world and transformation into the image of Christ. And the question I'd like for each one of us today to consider as we head into a new year together is simply this, am I moving forward with Jesus? Am I experiencing the transformation that God desires for my life, or am I stuck? Am I stagnant? And my prayer for all of us today is that we would get unstuck spiritually so that we can truly experience the ongoing transformation that God desires to bring about in every one of our lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2 teaches that to experience the transformed life, we must do three things continually. These aren't one and done things. These are things that we need to do on a regular basis day by day as believers to experience the transformed life. We need to remember the mercy of God, relinquish ourselves to him completely, and retrain our thinking. All right, number one, to experience the transformed life, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, we must remember the mercy of God. Look at how Paul begins this, 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 this passage here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He goes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... The mercy of God sets up and sets the foundation for everything else that he's going to say. And in fact, it looks back to everything he has said in chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans. Because here in chapter 12, it's sort of like a hinge point, if you will, in the whole book. Um, Up to this point, by and large, what the apostle has been doing is, is, is giving us the beauty and the glory and the power of the gospel of God's free grace to undeserving sinners who are under a sentence of condemnation for, from a just God, and how Jesus Christ provides to us a way of salvation based not on what we do for Him, but what He did for us that meets us at our lowest point and rescues us. And so, now, and so, what now Paul's doing after chapter 12, he's getting practical and he's saying, Because of that, if you believe that, if you know that, if you've experienced experience the glory of his grace and his mercy and and in light of his mercy and in view of his mercy and he's going to give us some instructions that we're going to see that we're going to get to later on offer your body as a living sacrifice be transformed by the renewal of your mind but before you get to that you got to realize there's a foundation here for all of that and it is understanding the mercy of of God. I love that Paul here, he doesn't use, the, doesn't use fear or threats as the motivation for why we should live surrendered to God and devoted to him. He doesn't say, God will get you if you don't do this. He doesn't say, in view of God's anger and harshness, be devoted to him. No. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, it's appropriate and legitimate to, uh, to, 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 to appeal to God, the reality of God's judgment at times when it comes to our growth as Christians. But here, Paul's careful to highlight the fact of his mercy as the basis for why we ought to be motivated to give ourselves to God completely. We're to continually offer ourselves to God, not to gain his mercy. We do so because we've already received his mercy. One of of the best illustrations of this actually comes from the New Testament. In Luke chapter 19, um, many of you might be familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. We all know he was a wee little man, don't we? Zacchaeus was a wee little, he was also a wee little, very bad man too. Because he would, he was selfish. He, He was materialistic. He would... He would rip people off in his job as a a tax collector. He would collect taxes for the Roman government and also charge far more than was necessary and sort of pocket the proceeds. So this guy was not only selfish, but he was also hated by everybody else around him. He's just in a bad way. And he hears that Jesus is coming through. You know the story, if you've been familiar, if you've grown up in church. He hears Jesus is coming through, and, and he's a short guy, so he gets up in a tree, and he gets a view, and here comes Jesus along. What does Jesus do? Jesus singles him out, and invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, right? And he go, and, and, and Zacchaeus, it says, the scripture says he, he came down and received him joyfully. Isn't that interesting? That here this self-centered person has a moment with Jesus, and then with joy he receives Jesus. They, go, they have fellowship together. And all of a sudden, a transformation begins to happen in Zacchaeus' heart. And you know what he does? He's a totally changed man. He goes, you know what? Half of my goods I'm gonna to give to the poor. And you know what? If I've defrauded anybody else, I'm gonna restore it to them fourfold. And you know what Jesus said? He goes, today salvation has come to this house. Listen, something powerful has occurred here that's brought about a transformation in this man's life from a selfish, you know, extorting, person, uh, uh, an underhanded swindler of a person, to now this generous, what's happened? I want us to think for a moment a little deeper about what caused this transformation. Did Zacchaeus say, Jesus, I'm going to give half of my goods, and I'm going to restore to people fourfold, and I hope that because I did that, maybe, just maybe, I could earn your mercy. Do you think maybe, Lord, if I did these things, you would finally accept me would you view what I've done as, a, as good enough reason? Absolutely not. Zacchaeus is not trying to earn Jesus' mercy. He's a changed man because he's experienced his mercy. The, the mercy of God has met him in, his free, in, in the free grace of Jesus. And because Jesus has entered his life, Jesus simply shows up and says, Zacchaeus, essentially... I want a relationship with you. And I know all the worst things about you. So does everybody else, by the way, around here. But you know what? I still want you. I want a relationship with you. With joy, he brings Jesus to his house. There is a transformation. He's experienced grace that is undeserved. He's experienced mercy that he did not deserve and could never earn. And because of that, out of that, he becomes a generous person. He becomes a different person. Here's what I simply want you to see, is that to experience the transformed life, you've got to be in touch with the mercy of God. And if you realize how merciful God has been toward you, considering all that you've done and all that I've done, if we can be in touch with the mercy of God in spite of all that we have done, all of our mistakes, all of our sins, in thought, word, and deed throughout our life, and the fact that Jesus still shows up to us and says, I still want a relationship with you, man, once once you realize that, you'll be floored, and, and there will be a change that happens, a transformation will begin to happen. Is anybody listening to me today? Is there can I get an amen somewhere here? I mean, the grace of God is what changes to remembering his mercy. We tend to get this confused though as, as Christians don't. We oftentimes we think, man, if I can just shape up and get my act together for Jesus, maybe just maybe he'll be merciful to me and accept me. We just we do that sometimes. We we get this stuff mixed up. But when you come to him as you are and realize that his love and forgiveness is extended to you as a free gift of his grace, Jesus comes to you and says, I want a relationship with you. Will you let me into your life? Right in the midst of your mess. Right? Right in the midst of your mess. That's what changes you. Jesus never shows up to Zacchaeus and says, you know what? You need to go clean up your act a little bit before we can talk about having a relationship here. You know? This is what religion says. You do for God, and then you'll get acceptance from him, maybe. The gospel says you're accepted because of what Jesus has done for you. And therefore, out of that, you'll obey. You'll serve him. You'll give your life to him. The old hymn tells us this, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. This is Zacchaeus, right? The love so amazing and so divine in the midst of his wickedness, as he was in the midst of his selfish, sinful life, has met him. And he just has this moment where he says, this love is so amazing, so divine. He doesn't say those words. I'm telling you this is like the effect of what's happening, right? Demands my soul, my life, my all. I'm a different man. So number one, to experience the transformed life, we've got to remember his mercy. Um, Secondly, as we make our way through the passage here, to experience the transformed life, we've got to relinquish ourselves entirely to God. A total and full surrender. And this is what he's talking about here at the end of verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship present yourself, give yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Now, that word living sacrifice, it would have been just as strange to Paul's original audience as it is to us, because we know that the word sacrifice literally means something that dies, something that is put to death and put on an altar. And, and in the ancient world, they would have been so familiar with this. They would have known what it's like to see someone bring an animal and slaughter it and put it on an altar and burn it. And they would know the smell and they would know the blood and they would be—they would have this sensory reaction to the concept of sacrifice that hits them. right? And so, so when Paul says, I want you to be a sacrifice, but not the kind that you're used to thinking, a living one, not one that is... Killed upon an altar, but one that continues to go about its life. He's saying, I want you to live your life as a surrendered offering unto the Lord, relinquishing yourself to Him, understanding that you don't belong to yourself anymore, that He has purchased you by His blood, that you belong to Him, and therefore He has the right and the authority to call all the shots in your life and to tell you how to live, and, and you don't reserve the right to pick and choose anymore. Which of his commandments you like and which ones you don't like because you're a, sacri- you're a living sacrifice, living your life for his glory surrendered to him. And we can't experience the transformed life until we do that. And again, listen, this is not a one and done thing. This is, this is, a, this is a daily thing. This is a again and again and again type thing. This is, this is something. Here's the problem with a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice has a tendency to crawl off the altar. You know, I don't, I don't like being fully submitted anymore. I'm gonna kind of take back a little bit of the reins here and, and, and kind of do things what I want now and the way that I want and the way that I see. And God, I know your word says this, but here's what I'm gonna do. And say, look, that's taking ourselves off the altar. That's, that's removing the living sacrifice piece of this. And that's why it needs to be a continual thing. A thing, especially at the beginning of a new year where we could say, God, we could take a moment and just hit pause and say, God, is it possible that maybe in some way, shape, or form, I've taken, I've crawled off the altar and I'm no longer a, Fully submitted to you, but I've sort of taken back control of certain things in my life. And I've started to pick and choose what I want to obey and don't obey from your word. And man, this is a great opportunity for us to, 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 to look into our hearts and see if, if that could be us. You cannot experience the transformed life if you're not surrendered to God. Let me um, illustrate it for you like this this is a very imperfect illustration, but I need you to bear with me. Let's just do a quick show of hands. Um, how many of you have seen the 1986 sports movie Hoosiers? Come on, help me out, help me out. Basketball fans, you know what I'm talking about. If you've not, about, about half and half maybe. Um, those of you who haven't seen it, let me just say you owe it to yourself to go watch this at some point. It's, you know, um, but here's the thing. I want to use a, an example from this movie to help us understand this point. In the movie, Gene Hackman plays the role of Coach Norman Dale, right? Comes into a a local high school in rural Indiana, a very small school. He's the new high school uh, basketball coach. The team doesn't have a lot of natural talent. They don't have very many players. They don't have high aspirations. The best player in town doesn't want to play for the team. The group is also very undisciplined, and basically, the whole town hates the new coach. Perfect setup, right? (laughs) Um, Nevertheless, Coach Dale comes in, he tries to transform them from what they are, a dysfunctional team, into a winning team. And they lose their first game, and in that game, a player fouled out, and the only one left who could take his place was on the bench because the coach, uh, by the coach because the kid had repeatedly disregarded the coach's instructions. So to make a point, the coach sends four guys out onto the court to finish the game instead of five. It's wild and awesome. That's why you need to watch it. It's great. Now listen, in the locker room after the game, the coach says this, quoting, those of you on the floor at the end, I'm proud of you. You played your guts out. I'm only gonna say this one time. All of you have the weekend. Think about whether or not you wanna be on this team or not. Under the following conditions, What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law, absolutely and without discussion. And with that, he walks out the door, like leaving it like that, the tension, right? Listen, here's my point. Those players needed to be totally surrendered in a sense to the coach in order to be transformed into a winning basketball team that accomplished more than any of them ever dreamed was possible. And in fact, the team goes on to be the smallest school ever to win the state championship title. It's based on a true story. Listen, we cannot experience God's best for our lives if we're not fully surrendered to him. We need to get to the point where we view his word and his will as the law absolutely and without discussion, right? Where we surrender to him and submit to him and lay down our right to govern our lives and give him all that we are and give him the reins. The coach knew that if, in the, if those kids picked and choose from him what they wanted to do and not do and obey and not obey, they would never become a winning team. They would always remain undisciplined. They would never grow. They would never change. They would never accomplish what he knew they could accomplish if they would just surrender to him in terms of the basketball side of things right he's like just you got you got to you got to you got to realize that what i say is the law and you're going to do it whether you like it or not and listen he knew that if they would do that they could be successful and they were And the same is true in our lives. If we want to experience the transformed life, if you want to experience God's best for your life, the only way is by giving yourself fully to God, relinquishing yourself to him, surrendering yourself to him fully and saying, Lord, I will do what you say. I will follow you. I will will lay down my own desires. I will lay down my own ways and I will submit to yours. And and when there's a a, a conflict between what I want and what you want, I'm going to give way to you because I'm going to be surrendered to you. This is what Paul is saying. I implore you by the mercy of God to offer your whole life, your whole selves to him as a living sacrifice giving him full control. And then thirdly, The third aspect that I want you to see here today is this. To experience the transformed life, we must retrain our thinking. We need to retrain our thinking in accordance with the new life that he's given us, in accordance with his word and his will and his ways. He says this, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, our patterns of thought and understanding need to constantly be transformed. This Greek word for transformed, metamorpho is the word. It's, we get our English word metamorphosis. It's the change from one form into another, right? From a tadpole into a frog, right? From a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's this transformation. This is what God wants us to do as we submit ourselves to him. He wants to change us by his power, by his grace. But we have a part to play. He says, be transformed. It's, if there's something for us to do. We have a role, but it's also something that God does as we surrender to him in our life. We resist conformity to the world and instead submit to God's work of transformation in us. And this transformation occurs by the renewal of our minds, or put another way, the retraining of our thinking, the reprogramming of our thinking. Because you see, even after you become a Christian, though you have been made new spiritually spiritually, you still, your mind is still used to thinking the way that it has always thought before you knew Jesus. There are old patterns of thought. There are old patterns of thinking. Old ways that, that, you, that your mind tended to go before you met Jesus. And those are still there and that needs to be retrained. To be brought in line with the mind of God and in accordance with the new nature that he's given to us. And doing so is, is very difficult and requires a ton of effort. For instance, if you've ever been... Um, walking through a state park, right, and you're, you're, you're walking through the woods, here's what you find. There are these paths that are well-worn paths. So for years and years, people have been walking through the path in the forest, and here it is. I mean, the, the brush is cleared away. The ground has been, you know, pounded down over years and years of people walking that same path. It's super easy to walk the path that's been there for years and years. What's really, really difficult, though, is the, the idea of trying to strike off that path and Begin to forge a new path through forest, right? That's going to be a lot of work, right? You're going to have to clear the brush. You're going to have to, have to, have to put in a lot of work and, you know, hacking, hacking trees down and clearing the ground and stomping the ground and clearing it. and over. But you see, over time, a new path will be formed. In a similar way, when we become Christians, God's spirit resides within us, but our minds still have the old, worn pathways of worldly thinking. Our souls are saved, and we have new spiritual life within us, but unless our minds are renewed, we will continue to follow the previous paths of thinking because they're so much easier to go down. It's so much more natural to go down that direction of our old way of thinking that's in accordance with this world. Unless we do the hard work of renewing our mind, unless we do the hard work of striking out new pathways of thinking in accordance with the word of God in accordance with the will of God and that takes hard work it's so much easier to just go with the flow of the world so much easier to choose the path of least resistance isn't it and just go with our old ways of thinking right the natural ways of what whatever lust bitterness anger resentment like those those ways that your mind just normally goes it's so much more difficult to say you know what I've been rescued by God's grace. I'm a citizen of his kingdom. And so now I'm not gonna conform my mind to this present world anymore because I've been saved from it. I'm gonna gonna conform my mind to the new me, to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom I now belong to by his grace. And I'm gonna do the hard work of renewing my mind and realizing that that is what is gonna bring about change and transformation in my life. This is exactly what Paul the Apostle calls us to do in Romans chapter 12, verse two. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind because the truth is this. Your way of thinking will always affect your way of living. Your mindset will always influence your choices and your behavior. The transformation of your life depends upon the renewal of your mind. Put another way, if you do not learn how to think differently, You'll never live differently. You just won't. Because the way that you think always influences the way that you live, the way that you act, and what you do. So why do our minds need to be renewed? Let me just state the obvious. Your mind is a mess. And my guess is that if all of, our, all of your thoughts from this past week were put up on one of these screens, it wouldn't be a super great day for you. I mean, I don't know if we need any more convincing that our minds need to be renewed. Like, like, case closed. Like, all right. Yes, Jesus, we need you. We need your help to renew our minds, right? It's true that we have this new nature from God, but while sin remains in this world, there will always be the temptation to revert to sinful, ungodly, destructive ways of thinking. And we need to, we need to find, we will find a continual temptation to go back to those fallen, sinful, pre-worn ways of thinking in our minds And like we have said before, it's always easier to go down the old path. What's challenging is forging new pathways according to God's truth. But the good news is this. Over time, we will forge new, renewed, biblical, God-pleasing ways of thinking. And those old paths of worldly thinking will become overgrown, you see. And you'll more naturally gravitate over time. The more you do this, over time, to thinking in line with God's word more naturally, thinking in line with God's will and his ways more naturally, you see, because you've been working at forging that new path, and you've been starving the old paths, and they're becoming overgrown. And you know what that is? That's transformation. Because now it's becoming a little more second nature to automatically go with God's will and God's ways in the way that you think, because you've retrained your thinking. And it's becoming more difficult to go down the old ways of thinking. It's be, you're, you're, you're getting a taste more for the things of God and you're getting a distaste for the things of this world. You see, that's the transformation at work that, his, that, that the Spirit does in our life. That's real transformation when you begin to desire to do what you ought to do and your mind is renewed in that way. Paul says, when that happens, we are equipped to determine in practical ways how to walk in the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So what thought patterns do you need to renew today? What thought patterns are taking you down a destructive direction? We're all tempted by this. So it's just like take a moment to think, hey, where are you, where, are we? where am I? Where are we particularly tempted to go down old ways of thinking that are taking us on a path of destruction that are not in accordance with the new nature that Jesus has given to us, that are not in accordance with the mercy that we have received, you see? Let's take a moment and think about that. Let's ask the Lord to show us so that we can turn from those thought patterns, begin to starve those thought patterns, and begin to forge new pathways. I know of no better way of renewing your mind than regular time in the scriptures, regular time in prayer and meditation over what you read. And over time, doing that will begin to rewire your thinking. Because day by day, you'll be like, well, I I read this verse in the morning, and I meditated upon it, and it's just with you the rest of the day. And it's with you the next day and weeks ahead, and and the word is with you. The the Bible tells us, I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against God. When you hide the word in your heart, that goes with you. Nobody can take that away from you, And and it's a resource for you. It's a resource for you to fight temptation. Just like Jesus did in the desert, right? When the devil came to him and tempted him, what did he say? It is written, it is written, it is written. The words in his heart. The words in, the word, when the words in our heart, our thinking's renewed and we can fight. We're equipped to fight back. We're equipped to be victorious in the battle. Man, December 31st, this is the time to start off a good Bible reading plan. Get so many good plans available online, right? Just You, you can find them day by day. Get, get yourself a one-year Bible if, if, if that helps you. Like, just, man, just whatever helps you. Have a system. Because if you just leave it to chance, and it's just like the Russian roulette version of, like, I'm just going to flip the Bible open maybe a couple times a week if I feel like it. Listen, good intentions and good feelings alone are not enough to sustain a life of faith. Get a plan. <laughs> good feelings and good intentions, those are great, but a plan also helps. <laughs> it helps sustain you when you're not always feeling it. Because if you, if you only read the scripture or pray or go to church when you feel like it, guess what? Over time, you may not feel like it as much, and then what? You find yourself in a place you never intended to be or wanted to be, and you're far from God. And this is the perfect time to think through getting a plan together for reading the scriptures on a regular basis. And so in closing, I want us to think about the power to do this, the power to give ourselves over to the Lord fully, the power to do this regularly, day by day, to to retrain our thinking, to remember his mercy. And that really is the basis of everything. And I want you to know that the the, the epitome of the mercy of God is found in Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God who came to this earth. And listen, he gave himself up As a sacrifice, didn't he? Not a living sacrifice, but like a destroyed sacrifice, like a real sacrifice. In fact, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices because he alone was fully God, fully man, the perfect sacrifice to, he was human so he could die on our behalf, but he was also God so he could fulfill all the requirements of God's law on our behalf. And he could secure redemption for every person who places their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus took the, hands off, the reins off of his own life. He relinquished himself to the will of his heavenly father. Not as a living sacrifice, but as a destroyed sacrifice. He gave his life to the end and he hung upon a cross and he was tortured and he was mocked. But it wasn't just the torturing and the mocking. It wasn't the physical pain that was the greatest issue regarding the crucifixion. No, he bore the sins of the world. He bore the weight of your sins. He died for you and for me, bearing the penalty for your sins and mine. That was what was placed upon him. The wrath of Almighty God against a sinful humanity was placed upon him in your place, in my place. He, He was our substitute and he took that for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. While we were at our worst, while we were the most undeserving, he said, I see you and I still want you. I want a relationship with you. And he died for us and he gave himself up. He took his hands off of his own life, giving himself up as a sacrifice. And listen, that means when we see that he's done that for us, we can take our hands off of our own life and give ourselves completely to him, realizing that it leads not to death, but it leads to the truest definition of life imaginable life everlasting in the presence of God, reunited with our creator through the work of Jesus Christ, his son, who did for us what we could never do for ourselves, paid a debt that we could never pay and we, never, we could never deserve and never earn. And by his grace, when we experience that mercy, when we're in touch with that kind of mercy, it'll change us. And It'll be our joy to surrender ourselves to God to give ourselves to relinquish control, renew our mind, renew our thinking. And we will find that as Paul elsewhere says, as we go through our life, we are transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God who does this. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this time spent in your word together here today at the the close of this year, 2023. And Lord, I thank you that you see each and every person who's in this room today. And God, you know where we are. And I thank you, Lord, that your heart is to bring about redemption. Your heart is to bring about transformation. Your heart, Lord, for us is to bring about healing. And Lord, I don't know what burdens are represented in this room today. I don't know what struggles are represented in this, in this room today, but I know that you do. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this moment right now. We just take this moment, Lord, let it be a holy moment where we push aside the distraction of the season. And we say, God, as we come to the close of this year, Lord, we wanna remember your mercy. We wanna relinquish ourselves completely to you. And Lord, we wanna commit ourselves to the hard work of renewing our mind according to your will and your ways. Would you help us today? Now, church, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed in this moment of prayer, I just wanna give you the opportunity to respond today. There's two groups of people and and the first, you're here and maybe you've never, never surrendered your life to Jesus. Like, you never did that, not, not even once. And maybe today, like Zacchaeus, you feel the savior coming to you and saying, I want a relationship with you and I know all the worst things about you and I want you anyway. Will you open your heart to me? If you're here today, and you sense the Lord Jesus knocking at the door of your heart and you've never surrendered your life to him, you've never given your heart to him, you never acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need him to rescue you and that you need him to forgive you of your sins. He wants to do that today, but will you respond and say, I believe and I acknowledge my sin to you and Lord, I need you to rescue me and save me. And you know what? When you do that, he'll enter your life and he'll make you a new person. And somebody here today, maybe today's your day. If that's you, I just wanna invite you, just lift up your hand right now to help me see you there. I can pray for you. I'm not gonna make you get up, thanks over here. Anybody else? Anybody else you wanna take this moment just to respond to the word of God? Thank you, down front. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The second group, you're here today and maybe you're a Christian, but but if you're honest, you'd admit that somewhere along the way, You crawled off the altar and you're no longer fully submitted to God. You've started living for yourself or you've grown cold to the reality of God's mercy. Today, his mercy is waiting for you afresh. Let him overwhelm you all over again with his mercy and let that fuel a newfound response of joyful submission to him. Regardless of which camp you find yourself in today, God's mercy is here for you. I wanna encourage you to talk to a pastor after the service, talk to a church leader. They would love to help you on your journey. They would love to resource you. They would love to walk with you. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he gave his all for us. And Lord, in response, there's no more appropriate thing that we could do than to give our all to him. So Lord, help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have.